Good afternoon and welcome to Harnessing Data to Advance Quality of Care, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Meditech. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen, click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides, the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go uh, about 35, 40 minutes first with our main panel discussion featuring Jackie Rice, VP and CIO at Frederick Health, Valerie DeCamp, VP, Clinical Integration and Chief Quality Officer with Southern Ohio Medical Center, and Christine Parent, AVP with Meditech. So let's jump right in. we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Jackie, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. My name is Jackie Rice, and I'm the CIO here at Frederick Health. We're a small, independent community hospital. We have about 269 beds, 22 locations with a cancer center. Um, we're the only hospital in um, the county that we're in. And we, we really are trying to provide the best care for our, for our community participants. We um, strive for excellence. We're a, a stage seven um, magnet hospital, uh, leapfrog um, grade A. Um, we just really, in most wired um, um, stage eight, we just really try um, to provide the care within our community for our um, for our our community um, individuals. Very good, thank you, Jackie. Valerie, Valerie Decam, I'm Vice President of Clinical Integration and the Chief Quality Quality Officer at Southern Ohio Medical Center. We are a 246 bed acute care hospital and we wish to remain fiercely independent. <laughs> <laughs> we have 40 plus offsite locations providing primary care, specialty care, rehab and retail pharmacy services within three of our health um, centers. We're a Fortune 100 best places to work company for 14 consecutive years and recently named a People's Mag People Magazine's 100 best companies that care list. And um, we are a magnet hospital as well, working on our fourth designation and leapfrog grade A. Uh, we like to say we are two hours from anywhere. We serve eight counties, but we're rural health system. And so we're two hours east of Cincinnati, two hours west of Charleston, West Virginia, two hours south of Columbus, and two hours north of Lexington, Kentucky. So this role that I'm in is newly created. Um, and I've had to pave the way for myself, even though I've been at SOMC for 40 years, um, we decided that we really needed to work on clinical integration and leverage technology to produce the outcomes we need to serve the community here. That's fantastic, Valerie. Thank you for that. Christine? 
Sure. I'm Christine Perrin, AVP for Meditech, and I've worked here at Meditech for over 20 years in various capacities from implementation development to customer service. And I'm currently working with our customers to share some of these case stories that you'll hear today about advancing technology really to benefit the patients um, in their organizations and maximize the tools and resources for their EHR. A little about Meditech is we've been in the business over 50 years, uh, and we recently received recognitions from class as best in class in three categories, including acute EMR uh, for community hospitals, as well as ranked a top performer for best overall suite. Uh, we have our newly released Expanse platform, which is a full web-based platform. And to give you perspective on uh, how this has had handled in the field for the last couple of years, we have 60, uh, 680 plus sites that have license with Expanse and 420 plus sites that are live. And, and obviously, Frederick, who you'll be hearing about today in Southern uh, Ohio, also are live on Expanse. So happy to be here. Looking forward to our discussion today, Anthony. Very good. Thank you, Christine. All right. Next question, Valerie, we're going to start with you. Please describe some of the ways you're leveraging data to improve care and describe the journey and some of the challenges you faced along the way. Okay, well, first of all, we celebrated our one year anniversary with Meditech on August 1st. So we're, we're babies in this um, field with Meditech. So, you know, we've all been in this pandemic for a long time. And what we recognized within just a couple months of going live is that we needed help with um, leveraging our BCA to get us the data we needed to get through the COVID surge. So we use Meditech professional services to help us build a custom dashboard for COVID. And uh, we use the data now for state and federal reporting mandates and to keep our, in, our organization informed on the COVID status of the patients that we see. We right now are at a higher peak currently in September of 2021 than we were last time or last year this time and in the winter of last year. And so we, we administered 21,000 vaccinations to our community just through the hospital. So we've used the dashboard to leverage that and help us determine what we have in stock to give, when people can get it. And um, in addition to that, I would say that's kind of been the star performer for us because we had to hand count all of that stuff until last November. And then, you know, seeing what Meditech could do we, we realized we could use a custom dashboard to help us. We're also um, working on a risk management custom dashboard, patient relations and respiratory therapy custom dashboards. That is all helping us streamline the work that our caregivers provide every day. And we have a sepsis dashboard in place, antimicrobial, antimicrobial stewardship that um, when I talk to the pharmacists that use that, say that say that streamline streamlines all the all the things that they do because in the past they had to go in and collect that data by hand. Um, one thing that we did do was implement all toolkits across all settings at Go Live because we felt like that was important for our community to be able to use that for safety and quality issues. All right, very good. A lot of dashboards, huh? Yes, dashboards are big, right? I mean, this this is sort of what they are is extracting out the underlying data in a nice, easy, visual way to see, to right. letting the, letting whoever is looking at it know 
what needs to be addressed. You know, you, you think of your red, yellow, and green type mm-hmm. scenarios or whatever it is, you're presenting information in an in a easy to digest way, correct? Exactly, exactly. We used dashboards before, but not connected to any type of health record. And so this is just at a glance at our fingertips, helping us make decisions, you know, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute. And then you can drill down, you can click here, you can click Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Underli- yeah. Yes. Very good. In Very fact, good. Our, our chief financial officer last week said, how can I get to this data on the BCA COVID dashboard? And he said, I want to show the board why we're spending all this money um, for COVID. And so he was able to show the volumes, the history of the volumes, you know, well, I like to say at the click of a button. So. <laughs> Very good, Jackie. Um, I would just say that the data has become very important the last 20 months, again, with COVID. Um, We did some of the same things as far as dashboards. We had an incident command center with a dashboard. Um, We also developed, you know, testing became such such an item out there. Um, But you you can put things on the dashboard, such as where are you with your supply equipment of how many vents do you have? How many patients are there? How, how many vents do you have in reserve? Um, those kinds of things are very important for people to be tracking or trying to move people through the organization, um, through the multiple channels, through the ED and, and the hospital and the ICU. So again, um, those, were, those are great tools for what we were doing. We also used uh, business and clinical analytics to um, develop um, dashboards for things like supply chain so that they can see what they have. We have a quality dashboard. Um, we have population health um, dashboards. And I think it is, it's real-time information for people to see. And what has become even more is monitoring those vaccinations. Um, in Maryland, we're doing pretty well as far as getting um, our our population vaccinated. I think that's going to be the secret to getting us out of um, this this whole scenario. Um, and and so tracking that. The other thing that that comes up is that you really have state and local reporting that you have to do every single day. And your reports, you want to make sure that the, the data is of good quality and you're sending that out because people are um, maybe giving you resources depending on that data and and what's going on. So we have all of that reporting that we also had to do. We um, we do have um, developed registries to follow um, our patients, um, to bring together, um, analyze and display the data on a variety of patient populations, which we can talk about. And also as far as leveraging the data, We've done things like develop um, reports. We've worked with our population health. Meditech has a, um, an agreement with Arcadia and Meditech for a population health tool that we've been able to develop a, an algorithm for our hospice patients using the, um, the claims data and EHR data. What's the likelihood of mortality in the next six months for patients so that we can get them and talk to the providers to get them into hospice care sooner, to improve that end of life and quality of care. In many instances, people are left with the last three days of hospice care and 
the quality that hospice can provide to for both the family um, and the patient for end of life is tremendous. So we've actually seen an increase in um, just using that as an example in the the days in hospice um, using that algorithm and educating the the providers on that. So Jackie, you would say that people were sort of qualified or eligible for hospice uh, earlier than they were getting it. So this dashboard helps you get them the resources when they should get them. And that provides a better quality end of life because hospice is such a high quality program that we want to get it to them as soon as they're entitled to it, so to speak. Exactly. Jackie, you mentioned supply chain management and having adequate supplies on hand. Well, one of the things through our business and clinical analytics COVID dashboard was uh, the predictive analytics that helped us look out seven days and 14 days and help us realize our trend is up and, you know, hey, we better be checking our supplies. And it, it did help us plan for then this surge that we're in right now. And I would say that the um, that we, what we're talking about here with, with some of the dashboards, that was probably the most used over the last 24 months. And we worked with a number of institutions really to, to help build those out and get them in the field. And there's always a little variation, but we did have uh, the professional services arm also to help those institutions that needed a, a little bit more guidance. Mm-hmm. But you're right, um, talking to Anthony, your, your comment about the, the color coding. So we did, we had the color coding indicators. So staff really could identify very quickly, you know, who is tracking positive results, you know, including patients that um, are, you know, negative or pending uh, results, as well as, as we're talking about, just really seeing what the supply levels are and and being able to um, accurately also do occupancy. So, you know, are we, how are we trending? You know, are we going to are we going to be out of ICU beds within a period of time, respiratory equipment, et cetera? So we did see that that probably was the one that was most instituted. Um, but there is a series of other things that that we have uh, talked about today. I think uh, Jackie and Valerie both talked about the toolkits being available. We now have about 10 plus toolkits that are ready readily available all around clinical excellence um, from, you know, surveillance to uh, we also have opioid reduction. So we have some some toolkits in that area that I know that we've um, done a, a lot of, of interest in that in throughout the U.S. and in Canada and the U.K. We've also instituted um, a depression and suicide prevention toolkit, which I know that some of our institutions are in that uh, zero preventative uh, model. So want to really get that out there and do some early assessments and uh, identify patients early on. So uh, a lot, a lot of work around toolkits, registries, surveillance. And when we say BCA for folks that are out there that don't know, that's our business and clinical analytics. So it brings uh, forth data from the EHR as well as, well as third parties uh, that go ahead and build out that BCA to make those informed decisions. And what I commend Valerie and Jackie for is that really is a decision maker. So when we talk about data, I know we're going to get into governance and and kind of truth of data. I love hearing stories about CFOs and executives in there on a daily basis, really using that uh, to drive decision makings. And also, you know, that is um, that is the top down and kind of the quality culture that that we're we're trying to push out there in the field. 
Christine, a couple of questions. Uh, is the dashboard and a toolkit the same thing? If not, how are they different? They, they're similar in the fact that the toolkits themselves sometimes use surveillance boards. And surveillance boards for us are active, um, like spreadsheets and trackers within the system to monitor patients that usually are in, in-house. We also leverage different, uh, for toolkits, we leverage different processes. We'll build out certain content. So for our toolkits themselves, we, we do a lot of the clinical decision support, and we try to get information up front with them. We try to build the workflows because they're across different multi-disciplines and different departments. We'll build out the project plan. Um, we'll you know, use our, our professional services, et cetera. Whereas the dashboard is really a, um, a view and actionable item to get at the data, but it doesn't have a lot of that clinical decision support behind it. It's, it's more just um, displaying information, doing some predictive algorithms, uh, but the, the surveillance and the toolkits usually are, are when they're in-house and they're crossing multiple departments with information coming from different areas. So if I'm thinking of this correctly, you have a certain amount of these uh, toolkits or dashboards available to customers, meaning these are the typical ones everybody wants. And you go into the library and you say, oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So that's sort of option one. Uh, and you, you, you tell me if I'm correct here, you also may have a scenario where a customer, uh, they can't find what they're looking for. They want something unique. They can request that through professional services. And perhaps, I'm not sure, they could also build it on their own. Or no? Perfect. Nope, you're 100% correct. So we we do have professional services to help those institutions that need to um, move forward and and maybe not have the resources uh, available for them at that time, or or the skill set, or um, you know. The, the, the individuals that can leverage the dashboards, but we have easy to build dashboards. So as soon as you're in there once, you can make modifications and tweaks. And I know uh, many of our institutions, you know, they might, uh, you mentioned about, you know, just doing a library, but part of the implementation that Valerie went through, we actually do a lot of preparation in advance. We have a um, clinical leadership preparedness program where we take a lot of the uh, leaders from across the various departments through. They create uh, quality initiatives that are then built into their implementation so that it's part of their workflow, it's part of their training. Uh, And so we start that journey with them very early on in the process in that pre-implementation time frame. Uh, so we do have, we do have some uh, toolkits that are brought up afterwards. We continue to add to the library and then spend a lot of time educating our customers on how to leverage some of those new tools to really make a difference in their quality improvement. Valerie, how did uh, you want to talk at all about how some of your toolkits evolved? Were they off the shelf? Was there customization, professional services? <laughs> um, one, one, one toolkit I'll talk about is the opioid toolkit. So uh, 30 years ago, this town was a steel mill and the steel industry closed and we became the epicenter for, for pill mills actually here um, in Southern Ohio. And we had prescribers out in the community that were probably the top prescribers in the country. Mm-hmm. And we became known for that. So it was of great interest for us to implement the opioid toolkit in addition to others. But we really have one um, primary care physician, Dr. Sarah Porter, who is passionate about this. And she has 
use that toolkit to, and then now we're working on a custom dashboard for um, the, that's outpatient or ambulatory. And then we are partnering with Meditech to develop an acute care toolkit uh, related to opioid prescribing. And, and what we have learned is, you know, as much as we've eliminated pill mills and that type of thing, we still have the opportunity to make improvements just in our prescribing habits post-operatively um, in, in, in the ambulatory areas. Very good. Jackie, do you want to talk at all about the development of any of your toolkits, how they came about? Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the use of our registries. That is, um, that's been very useful for us. Um, we use both event and disease-based um, registries using the standard content data elements, as well as creating some custom ones. Um, for example, we have a registry for our um, chronic conditions and remote monitoring. We have a robust remote monitoring. We have some rural areas in our county. Um, we have over 300 people that we are monitoring remotely with a they have a device that they can talk to their to a care provider. They take their weight, they do their blood pressure, those kinds of things. And we, in the registries, we monitor these and we can raise up to the top for the caregivers who are taking care of those remote patients, who they should reach out, who might be at higher risk um, today with what's going on. And that's mostly utilized by our care management staff um, and the nurses that are working with the patients. Like, who should I call today? Who's on the list that has the highest um, um, risk that's out there? So, you know, that's that's been very, very helpful. Another thing is, you know, if you talk about the, the providers and the, the physicians, you have to put the information where they can utilize it. So we've developed um, some registries, but but that are using risk scores, HCC and ACG um, risk scores with um, Arcadia Meditech. And to make sure that the providers see those risk scores we have widgets that we can put right in front of them while they're working. So they can see that risk score for a patient, see if it's a high risk score when they're, they're seeing the patient, um, making sure the patient has um, the resources they need with care management um, or follow-up that they need. One of the things, though, that, that you need to pay attention to with those kinds of things that you're doing is those risk scores utilize the problem list, the number of medications you have. So across our enterprise, since we have an enterprise-wide um, EMR, the problem list is very important. It's important what the ED doc does, what the hospitalist does, the ambulatory doctor and our oncologists do. Um, so we developed, we have an enterprise-wide um, physician advisory committee where we've done a lot of education on the importance of we all like that data and we like to do clinical outcomes on it, but it has to be good data. Um, so that education has to occur for the input that's going into that data. Yep, for sure. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Um, all right, let's go to our, our next question. Valerie, let me start with you. What do you think are the keys to being successful with quality improvement projects? Well, I think transparency, uh, validating of accurate data. Um, you have to have accurate data to make improvements. 
And uh, we have a vision uh, to be the best. And I'm sure most hospitals have that same vision. And I also believe that you have to have a passionate, energized team who's willing to step up and um, do the work that's required. You know, once you have the data, that's the easy part. It's the work behind the data um, that is really uh, where you make improvements. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, we're early in the game um, using some of the data that we're able to glean from Meditech. We're still validating a lot of that data, um, but we, we have full confidence that it'll help us find a better way every day. Christine, you, you deal with many, 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 many customers. Uh, I'm sure you've developed a lot of best practices. You see when you work with customers, um, if they're doing the things that you know will make them successful, I'm sure you provide that guidance as a vendor, as a service provider. Sometimes you're listened to more than others, I would imagine, which can be frustrating on the part of the service provider. Um, but what are your thoughts? What do you see out there that, that the most successful customers have in common? So, and we've, we've had this conversation with many um, different customers, especially those that are starting their journey. I know I, I applaud Valerie uh, with her one year anniversary coming up because I'll say the one thing that, that they did very well at Southern Ohio is they started early in the process. And so they made it part of their implementation plan and strategy. Um, but what I would say to you is it needs to be a system-wide effort for these quality initiatives really to work. It has to be owned by each department. There has to be good and strong communication about the whys on which they're actually embarking. And then when there's measurements, that has to be funneled back from a communication perspective to really strengthen and um, make sure that there is a culture of, and I use that word culture of quality for these organizations. I I continue to go back to that word because it reinforces the principles from the leadership down and and Valerie and both um, Jackie have seen this. Valerie, I applaud you in your new role because they saw early on that there was a need for a a quality officer at their organization. And that was going to be a big emphasis. And so when you have um, big moments like that, and then put it in your implementation strategy, do communication and make it system-wide effort, it tends to stick and you become a uh, health system really from a quality perspective and and really change your culture. Uh, Jackie, your thoughts? I would just say one of the most important things is to look in the workflows. These are people inputting this data so it has to fit in their workflows when you're, you're developing a quality improvement projects. And no quality improvement project that I know is in one area. Mm-hmm. It usually involves the ED. It involves nurses, care management. And so putting, putting what the end user needs, where they are in their workflow, is essential to having success. And then the measurement of outcomes. We didn't really talk about that, but you need to make sure that you're measuring these outcomes and you're following up on those measurements and that you're putting it in front of the executive teams, what those um, outcomes are, what are the barriers, who do you need to help move some barriers? There's usually something that has to be changed or moved um, for these quality initiatives to um, really see the improvements and be successful. Very good. All right. Um, how can IT executives decide where to focus their quality improvement efforts? Does one select a condition, a department? What's the role of governance? Uh, we talked about 
a number of dashboards and a number of toolkits. And I would imagine you get plenty of requests. Uh, Valerie, let's start with you. Plenty of requests. I want, it's almost like it used to be for just a typical paper report. Everybody wanted a different report, but it took a lot to create reports. And so mm -hmm. you couldn't make them all. Um, it, it's almost, you know, governance. It all comes down to governance. So you may get many requests for dashboards, but you have to decide which ones. And you know, number one, we checked, does Meditech have it? Is it a pre-built? Easy. Mm -hmm. If not, for the custom ones or, or the home-built ones, that's some work. So which ones are we going to do? Which ones are we not going to do? So, Valerie, how does that play itself out? <laughs> well, we, we have to set priorities, really. And, and I think I said earlier, we've had dashboards for many years. They've been on paper, um, and we post them in break rooms. But what we have decided is we have to look at our strategies as an organization. So we have five strategic values, safety, quality, service, teamwork, and finance, and decide, okay, what's important within those and um, establish, um, you know, the priorities. And so looking back over the last year, I will say safety with COVID has definitely been, you know, at the top of mind and totally um, taken over like anything we've ever seen or done. And so, you know, halfway into that, we realized, oh my goodness, we just can't stop because of COVID. So we're, um, you know, working with different um, members of our team and deciding, okay, what's important for quality indicators and what's important for patient satisfaction and what's important for teamwork and the same thing with finance, and then establishing and working that way. So we have um, identified a few custom dashboards, but we're also beginning uh, what we're calling a BCA university and um, providing education to our staff on how to use the, the um, standard content BCA. Again, we're early in the game here, and we're transitioning to uh, um, the technology to, to help us. So Jackie, you know, you have those considerations of, of what's being requested and, and then the governance process of matching it up against strategic objectives. You also have a finite capacity. Any IT department has a finite capacity. And so you have to figure out what is it going to take if the dashboard isn't there? If we send it over to professional services, that's a cost. So what's in the budget? Right. How much do we want to spend if we're going to do it ourselves? Do we have the in-house talent? And do we have the time? There are a million things you're trying to figure out to decide if you have capacity to produce something. And there's also the element of time. Producing something in a week is different than producing it in three months. These are these are critical skills to running an IT department, and they're quite difficult. So what are your thoughts around that? Well, people usually ask for the one week turnaround for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> my, my, my piece with this is that I always turn back to um, the end users. And if we have to do prioritizations, I like to do it with them. So we look at our team. Where do we have capacity? Um, you know, even currently today, we're trying to set up a uh, a monoclonal um, antibody tent, and we're changing over what we're doing with our testing tent. Those all require builds. It's all required builds for billing and testing. So with quality, I look to our, we have a harm reduction quality steering committee. It's a task force. It has um, 
Each, each of those committees have a task force for falls, CODIs, CDIP, and sepsis. And then we have a member of the IT team on each of those uh, that attend each of those meetings so that you can even really understand what they want. Sometimes the most difficult thing is that people want something, but they can't articulate it um, in the best way that you understand how much of an effort it's going to be. So having our team members be part of those committees, they can quickly let me know, okay, this is this is what that's going to look like. And lots of times it's not even just a dashboard, it's building things for people in the, um, you know, in the care team to answer questions to get you to that dash dashboard. The dashboard is often easy when you have the questions answered, but what questions do we need answered to be um, to be monitored? And you know, even our our organization, we participate in a community wide survey, um, which is a collaboration with our health department, other service organizations, to find out what are the needs in the community. And one of the things that that we've started looking at for these quality measures are, are is health equality. Um, and that's often specific for just your community. Um, like we have a group of Hispanic um, populations here. We have a hearing impaired, impaired um, school here. So we have a lot of things as far as health equity that we also want to include um, in some of those quality measures that are out there. So I think going back for me from IT, it's understanding what the ask is, working with the people to understand what are you really asking for, what's it going to take, um, and then having the um, the committees, the harm reduction and quality steering committees, tell me what is your priority. If I can't do all three of these things you ask, tell me your first priority, and we will we will get that done. I like IT to be a Yes, we yes we can organization and not a barrier. But as you said, there are multiple um, multiple requests for resources. Um, how long have you been embedding those IT folks in those committees? That sounds like a, a great idea. Is that something that you've been doing forever, or was it recently? And what what brought that about? Was it the realization that hey, we keep getting this stuff late, and we need yeah. to get ahead of this? Yeah, it's been a couple of years and it was, you know, we've, we've done a lot to move the dial for these quality measures. And we re we realized um, early on in the clinical um, team that we really needed to, to have them at the table when these meetings were going on because they could also head off a, oh, let's do this and put the easy button here. And then when they come to you and you say, uh, there's no easy button there, but this is how we could build it for you. Um, that's what I think that those analysts do being part of those committees. And I, I do think that's been very important for us. Very good. Christine, your thoughts? Well, I'll just say that I think that we're, we're hearing a lot that there's quality steering committees that are defining and the prioritization. So I don't think that um, Jackie and Valerie probably have both within their, their organization that really steers some of the directions. Um, but I will say that they also look at some of the data. And so I know that recently we've had a couple institutions, even beyond COVID, looking at the occupancy surges, the ventilation needs, and, and kind of using those dashboards in those areas. Um, that was a need that was, you know, prevalent in, in the community. So like I said, that was 
pretty much what we worked on, um, very widespread with many of the hospitals. But we've also worked with different institutions on looking at growing populations of patients that maybe require a new service line. Uh, so, you know, as, as Jackie was saying, you know, maybe there's there's a uh, influx of, uh, you know, uh, young, young patients or even some more elderly patients. And do you create, you know, a geriatric uh, area for them or, or, or some beds for them? Um, we talked a little bit about quality measures. So looking at those quality measures and building around different target improvements and using dashboards in those areas to really improve some of the scores. Uh, and we also see new opportunities, especially for those institutions that are going into value-based care, uh, looking at dashboards to really support and help what's going on with your community, looking and dicing at some of the numbers. So it really is an organizational um, uh, decision and it, it is a lot of different people and I think Jackie alluded to this even including the community with this health equity that we're hearing a lot more about and I think that it's just going to continue over the next couple of years to really make sure that we're doing the right things for those communities and using then the data and the dashboards really to support some of that decision making. All right, very good. Uh, let's talk, we alluded to this a little earlier, but this is a very important, obviously. Quality improvement initiatives will only be as successful as the underlying data is solid. Talk about your organization's data governance journey. Uh, Jackie, you want to start? Yes, yeah, so we've, we've started the data governance journey a couple of years ago. And one of the things that's um, great about being a small independent hospital is we usually can um, do things more quickly, but we don't always have the resources of bigger hospitals to have the data governance and, and those kinds of things. But we did, we know the importance and we did start that journey a couple of years ago. We have an executive steering committee. That's our CFO, our COO, um, myself, um, and our strategy person overseeing the data governance board. And with the data governance, what we really want to make sure is that we have quality data. We have our data definitions defined so that when somebody wants to know about your admissions, you know, most of us have seven or eight different admission um, um, categories that you can add to a report. So what are the definitions that, that you want to put there? The other thing that, um, you know, we want to make sure the data is accurate for people to have um, confidence in it. But one of the other things is to involve all the people with the data. We also have developed and looked at in our organization who's who's working in the business units that, that is gathering this data and utilizing the data. And we've identified and about 50 people in our organization that are embedded um, in the ED and the OR, and they're utilizing this data and we've brought them together with Lunch and Learns. Sometimes we have 50 people come to the Lunch and Learns, showing them the tools, talking about where the data comes from, so that when they're requesting data and talking about their data, they understand the accuracy and where the data is coming from, where's the best place to get your data. So we've also tried to funnel a process to come in and request your data and then let the people who are doing the data collection, make the determination of where's the best place for it to come. Before we had both, um, a, we had a decision support group. I have my IT people 
who have our data repository and report writers. There are multiple ways. And, you know, some people will go wherever they want to get the data that, that they want the best, which report looks best for me. What we've done recently is formed an enterprise um, analytics team. We've brought those teams together of people who were um, putting data out there so and working with the data governance office so that we have the best data available to make those, those decisions that need to be made for the organization. And um, it becomes more and more important every day um, for us to survive. We've all had really rough times over the past 20 months. So what are the things we need to do going forward? That data is going to drive it. Very good. Christine, any thoughts? So I'll just say that we we built this into our um, CLPP program that I was talking about that's pre-implementation. And one of the backbones to a successful implementation, we always believe, is, is the end results, how to pull data out and look at the data, right? So you can always uh, input data, but I don't think in, in EHR implementations, there's always a lot of effort and um, uh, kind of onus on, okay, so now that, that this is built, how do you get at some of this information to make these decision supports? So we have built it into our clinical leadership preparedness program. We've also worked with all of our ready consultants to make sure that it's part of the process of doing a Meditech installation for Expanse, because the end result to be successful, you want to be able to retrieve the data. And I think what Jackie was alluding to, they're really, for these decision-making, for organizational, for quality improvement, there has to be trust in that data. Mm -hmm. People have to believe that there is, um, you know, I think that we've all been in the EHR business for a number of years, and you always had departments arguing where the data was, and in some cases, not necessarily always trusting that it was accurate. So that's something that we've built into uh, this platform here and also into our implementation process. And I think um, for those that have older data governance uh, processes or groups, you know, there is some best practices out there that I would, uh, even for pe people on different EHR systems or even some of our legacy customers, really to take a look at that because it is one of those things that if you do spend a bit of effort, it's just going to be the thing that keeps on giving. Very good, Valerie. I know you're at the beginning of, of your journey, but do you have any thoughts around data governance? Well, um, I think Jackie's been a great role model for me. And I'm going to be tapping um, in with her to learn more. I do totally understand, Jackie, about um, you go to decision support, you go to the performance improvement department, you go to somewhere else to get the data and whatever looks best. Hey, I'll, I'll take that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so we, we definitely are early in the journey uh, toward um, data governance. And like I said, I'll be uh, tapping into Jackie. Good. Absolutely. I think Jackie's up for it. Um, <laughs> let's go to our Ask a Co-Panelist uh, segment. Uh, Christine, I want to start with you. Do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? So I was going to ask, um, actually, I'll, I'll start with Frederick, because I know, Jackie, you've been at this for a number of years now with Expanse. So what is an aha moment that you've realized with your various quality initiatives? What is one of those, either a, a personal or something that you've taken away to say, this is why we do what we do. This is why we put such an emphasis on it, because it's these type of moments that really are impactful. I think for, for us, it's been very um, impactful to see an enterprise system 
um, that we put in with Expanse and the importance of what the person inputting the data makes in the system. And working with the providers over some of what's happened with problem lists and medications and multiple people being responsible for it and the aftermath of all that data flowing through and the difference it can make um, to have that data be accurate. Um, our providers, we've done a lot of education um, about that. Our providers were really working in silos before. The hospitalist um, did their thing, the ambulatory doctors did their thing, the oncologists were, and now they all have to work together. And we kind of were told um, in the beginning when we went, oh, this is the things that you have to look at, at as far as your data, but it's so important to have groups um, like your physician advisory committees so that you can talk through these, um, these various um, different ways of, you, of putting in the data so that we can all use the data. Christine, anything for Valerie? So for Southern Ohio, I know that you're on your, your journey right now of quality. And I, like I said, Valerie, I commend you and uh, your organization and leadership for really identifying your new role. Um, but just a question for you, as you start this journey and as you start the various quality initiatives, I guess, what, what do you do or what are you planning to do to reinforce the value of these quality initiatives to the various staff and stakeholders throughout your health system? Well, I think... Um... You know, it's going to require education on our part and the fact that the, you know, the results are only as good as the data that you put in. So um, if you've got, you know, eight types of discharges, you've got to be accurate in where the patient's going so we can we can measure exactly what we want to see. Perfect. Short and sweet. Like <laughs> yeah. No, very good. Well, Valerie, you said you're going to have a lot of questions for Jackie. So here's your opportunity to get one in front of her. <laughs> well, I want to learn a little bit more, Jackie, about how you're optimizing patient engagement using your patient portal. Yes, we, we are using, um, our, we have one, one patient portal now, which is great. We're doing um, questionnaires. Our patients can message the doctor, the prescription request. But one thing that we're doing just to tie back into today is asking questions before the patient comes in regarding some of the quality measures, like have you had your mammogram? Have you had your colonoscopy? And some of those, when the patient's right in front of somebody, they don't remember, oh, this is when I had my mammogram because it was a couple of years ago or the colonoscopy, Kendi, five years. So Putting it in front of the patients before they come in allows them to kind of look up that data and helps us to, to more um, fully track some of those quality measures um, and, and letting the patient have time to do that. Thank Very you. Good. Jackie, do you have a question for uh, Christine or Valerie? I would ask Valerie, I'm very interested in your new position <laughs> and how that how that came about that you were able to get that position. I know working in a small hospital, getting new positions are very difficult. So how did that come about? Well, it came about in, in a couple of ways. First of all, we had a, a CEO who decided to retire. And so one of our executives uh, became the CEO. 
and that vacated a um, vice president position. And so as that team began to look at, okay, what does our organization really need? Um, it, and we were launching, you know, the Meditech initiative. And um, so this has just been a, a little over a year I've been in this position. We decided to focus on clinical integration because in the long run, that's going to help us uh, with value-based purchasing. It's going to help us leverage the technology that we have through Meditech to improve the care for not only just inpatients or ambulatory patients, but our entire community and population we serve. So we um, have a clinical integration leadership team now that has a variety of disciplines, including um, physicians, advanced practice providers, pharmacists, social workers, nurses, and uh, we are, you know, working on our, um, we're working on becoming a certified uh, organization for clinical integration, and then we are starting work on our top three chronic disease diagnoses that were part of our um, community health survey with our health department. And so we'll be focusing on hypertension, diabetes, and COPD, probably much like every other community experiences those high volume areas. And I mentioned pharmacy on that team. We do have chronic disease pharmacists who are identifying patients at risk and um, offering counseling and services to them and helping them find the medications that they can afford and trying to keep them on track. So it's kind of a I've created my own job because there really wasn't anything like that um, in place. So it's it's still in the works. And um, so far, I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. And prior to that, I was a director of nursing for 30 plus years. So I've uh, been a, a little bit of a change. Yeah, so, very exciting. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're running short on time here. I want to get a final word from each of our panelists, a uh, little piece of advice for those that are grappling with quality improvement initiatives. And uh, uh, let's go with Jackie first. What are your thoughts? Um, I would just say, keep in mind those people who are, are putting the data in. That's where all of our data starts. It's the, the, uh, the humans, the providers, the nurses, the people caring for the patients and their workflows. So I'm, I'm always cognizant of, yes, we want all this data, but be careful. Um, with what you're asking people to enter as far as data, it really comes down to the people and humanity and healthcare for, you know, what we're doing. We make a difference in our community and that data is so important. So that's, that's my thought. Very good, Valerie. I like to say never, never, never give up. I even have a plaque in my office that reminds me of that and anybody who walks in here because as you know, healthcare is challenging and we face barriers all the time and, um, and realize that there, there will be some issues along the way and just be prepared um, to, to never give up. I love it. Love it. Christine? Well, we have a very diverse um, customer base. So, you know, we have it from the small rural hospitals, critical access hospitals, all the way to large corporations like HCA. So we're, we're proud of um, the roots that we have. But what I would say to you from a journey, from a quality perspective and what we're seeing is just have a starting point, an area that you want to focus in on, um, establish your measurements that are out there, uh, build your team, build your, and, and what we find is that if you start, if you start with that, then you'll actually start to measure and have 
have momentum. And that's when you start to educate people on the reasons for the project and able to move forward and really show the evidence of how it's it's being impacting your, your community. So I would say from everyone from the, the large IDNs that we work with, which, you know, the HCAs all the way to the critical access hospitals, that would be my recommendation for them. All right, very good. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this webinar is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our panel very much, Jackie Rice, Valerie DeCamp, and Christine Parent, and I want to thank Meditech for sponsoring and making the conversation possible. And I want to thank our attendees for joining. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.